Welcome to Heavily Pixelated. Heavily Pixelated is a show that attempts to describe all the positive things that games do for us. I'm Scott C. Jones. On today's show, how to feel great in 22 minutes or less. This new component of Heavily Pixelated, which we launched a couple of weeks ago with my conversation with Victor Lucas. What we do primarily is try to understand how people like Victor and myself get through our days. What do we do specifically to take care of ourselves? And on today's show, I'm really happy to bring you one of the all-time favorites from Heavily Pixelated. It's the great Ashley Cooper. Ashley was a significant part of season one of Heavily Pixelated. She was the very first episode I ever recorded long before I even knew what the show was going to be. And that was over three years ago now. She really delivered something uh, that was far bigger than I, I ever imagined. I think she kind of set the bar for, for the show, and, and she's still setting the bar in her own life. She's getting through her days. Honestly, I don't know anyone who has been braver than Ashley Cooper in the last few years. She's now a stand-up comic. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guys, gals, and all my pals, my name is Ashley Cooper, and I came here tonight to share with you a secret. In case these hips, these shoulders, and this voice haven't given it away, I'm trans. Ashley still works as a writer and a producer. She's working on another film. She's got a couple of writing projects on the go, and she's performing stand-up comedy. I went over to Ashley's house recently here in Toronto to ask her what makes her so bulletproof. <sighs> We're both a little sniffly this afternoon. Pancake. <laughs> really need to see this down here. Ashley's dog, Pancake, is showing me his belly. He would like belly rubs, please. You're not rubbing his belly, and he would like right. that to change. Oh my god, it's like a petting zoo in here. Yeah. Ashley has two exquisite cats and Pancake. We recorded this conversation before the COVID-19 pandemic became widespread. Nobody was sheltering in place at the time. Ashley and I have since recovered from our sniffles and, and we're both doing fine, I assure you. Are you performing tonight? Yep. All the way out at uh, Queen and Greenwood. It's always a good crowd who's into comedy. You know, you've been on the show and your episode was really a groundbreaking episode for us. And, and like, I am so grateful that you shared what you shared. Like, I just think you were super brave to do that at a time that, I mean, it, like you're still sort of transitioning or, or going through, you're discovering this part of yourself that yeah. that, that is new to you. And, and some of that discovering you were still so new when you were Oh yeah. Show. Oh yeah, I was so naive. So, <laughs> so so naive and so like but you were still game. Like you yeah. were game to go through this and you knew that that it was going to be painful and you knew that it was not going to be easy at all, but you still like you're like I this is where I'm going. I'll see you guys there. <laughs> you know, and so I just think you were so brave and I know that you've been through lots of things, and we don't need to talk about those things today. And if you feel self-conscious about anything we talk about today, you can just call no, me no. and say, take I, I'm an open book. I know what I do to be able to get out of bed and, and, and to feel positive about myself. <laughs> it's okay. I, don't mind. I just love it. He's got, like, the one paw on you, yeah. like, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I would like to interrupt here, if you don't mind. Yes, thanks, Pancake. But I, uh, you know, like, I, I have my own things that I do. You know, I have my own struggles with bullshit and, and you know, sort of the, the, 
the shitstorm of life, and uh, you know. But I feel like you are one of the strongest people I know. Uh, and I like, how do you take care of yourself? Like, I, you've been vulnerable lately, and again, like, talk about what you feel comfortable talking about. But it's like, what do you do when when you feel a little low? Do you have you know? Do you have some sort of a series of things or, or magic talisman that you reach out for or things that kind of always cheer you up or make you feel better or remind you that you are a talented, competent person who is worth being loved? Like, what do you do to, to get to that better place for yourself? I still don't vote. <laughs> you don't have an answer? No. I I feel like every time every time I go through, like, a really bad like dysphoric episode or depressive episode or whatever I feel like I am dealing with it for the first time like I just I feel like I have I don't have any weapons against it yeah I just have to like stand in the storm and let it pass yeah you know and like I hold myself up in the house for the most part. I don't go out very much, and I just either play a like play games morning, noon, and night, or watch a TV show or something. And like so, some sort of pizza. escape. Yeah, typically, yeah, yeah. just dis- disappear. Try to take my mind off of it for as long as possible at any given time. But you're also somebody who now performs regularly in yep. comedy clubs and like. What if you're having a bad day and you got to go work that night? Like, how do you Flip turn a switch. it around? That really, it's that. Yeah. And so, is that like something you imagine, like a switch being flipped? Or it feels like it. Yeah. Yeah, because like I, like even back like when I was kind of uh, first starting out and like after and after things got really bad with Brandy, I would go. I would, I would be in the worst possible mental headspace. Yeah. Leave the house, go to the show, sit quietly in the corner, not want to engage with anybody. Then they say, give it up for Ashley Cooper. And I just, I I know that I, whatever I've got left in the tank has to follow me up to that stage. Yeah. And I go up there and then for seven or 10 or 15 minutes or whatever, I do the dog and pony show yeah. and get off in this, like, and as soon as I'm seated again, like the switch goes back off. And it, and like and it's like okay now recharge the battery so that you have the energy to go home. Wow. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I wonder where that comes from. Like in I, you, I don't, I don't know, because like comedy is so far removed from anything else that I do in my life yes. that it is such a weird, unique oasis in terms of like my personality. Yeah, because I'm typically otherwise not like a super extroverted look at me center of attention type of person right uh like if you put me in a if you put me in a room with 20 people that i don't know i will probably just either find somebody that i know or stand in the corner and then if somebody comes and approaches me talk to them like but i very i don't have like yeah the social butterfly element and so I just, you know, it's kind, of, it's kind of like when you're having a particularly bad day and you have to work in customer service. It's like yeah. you can kind of, like, be that low-energy person uh, when you're, like, cleaning the store or organizing things. But as soon as a customer comes to the desk, you have to be like, hey, what's up? Yeah. Sort of thing. And I dealt with that a lot when I was, like, way younger because, like, I worked most of my first jobs in retail. Right. 
and you always found you had the ability to do that when you were working in retail. You could... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in retail, it, like, you're working a lot longer than yeah. 15 minutes, so right. it's a lot tougher, yeah. uh, especially when, like, they can be, you know, customers can be challenging or whatever. Um, I just know that when I worked in restaurants, I was terrible, and part of it was I couldn't find the switch to flip it, and so I right. just would stay lost and locked in my, you know, terrible place inside me and I couldn't figure a way out. And so I never made a lot of money doing it. I tried to do it for a long time. Like as a server? Yeah, I was a oh, server. Oh god, I can't even imagine that. I as can't a, imagine you as a bartender. with like a little apron with like your little notepad in it and like <laughs> I did that in Chicago in the early 90s. Oh wow. Yeah, a, a million years ago and uh, I was awful. I was re- a wretched wretched server I just I, just I don't feel like that would be something you would excel at for no. some reason <laughs> I, I remember like I had to bullshit my way into the job I lied and said that I had worked as a server before and that wasn't true I had worked as a bartender before which I was also awful at but I didn't know that it was such a skill to carry like a glass of wine on a yeah train. it's a real skill and you got to learn how to get your sea legs under you and my first night I had a glass of wine I was taking it over to this lady and I just spilled it all over her white sweater. And I went, and I'm just like, well, the... the oh, my God. The gig is up. They know the truth now. So <laughs> I, like, mopily cleaned out my locker. It was, like, a, a weird, like, fancy health club kind of place where I was working in the fancy restaurant. And I'm just like, that's that's it. I'll, I'll just cut <laughs> my paycheck and go home. And the, the guy's like, listen... Everybody lies on their resume to get in here. It's fine. Just try to get better in the future. Don't, you don't have to quit because of this. So That's really funny. Yeah. But you never waited tables? No. I got very fortunate. I skipped food service and went right to retail, but I spent a lot of time in retail. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of retail? What kind of stuff? Uh, my first job was at the Bay. Yeah. Which was miserable. Wow. I can't even um, imagine. And then I... What section in the Bay? Like what part? Menswear. Menswear. Uh, and I just knew nothing about it. Yeah. Like, I was not the person that you wanted to to, to approach, like, what would go well with these pants? So yeah, I was just yeah, like, yeah. a t-shirt? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. How did you even get the job, though? I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea why they hired me. Uh, previous to that, the only job I'd ever had was working for a summer doing, like, ad bag. Yeah. Like the, fly- like, the bag of flyers that shows up on your door every week. Ad bag. I did that for for a summer to for my brother and I both did it to raise yeah. money so that we could buy Nintendo sixty four. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I can buy that. And uh, and so I don't know what I mean. There wasn't a lot of actual work, so that yeah. they probably weren't looking for somebody who had qualifications. Lots of downtime. Yeah, well, I like even shifts wise, like I was working three to nine hours a week. Uh, in like three hour shifts yeah you know um, and then from there I went to Randy River when that was still a thing what is Randy River it was kind of like a skater kid clothing store sort of thing like baggy jeans and uh, you know is it Canada only I've never heard of it I think it's probably Canadian only yeah. or was at least yeah. uh, and then I went from there to Sunrise Records okay and I was at Sunrise Records for a little while uh, so I think all in I probably did probably like four years of retail yeah, yeah, yeah. give or take I didn't spend a ton of time at the bay 
And it was only at Randy River a few months before Sunrise picked me up. Um, the uh, do you want to do you want to get a, a Kleenex? Are you okay? Yes. Okay. That'd be great. Actually. Can you get me one too? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I use a toilet paper roll yeah, because yeah, I'm... That's all I do. <laughs> We're animals. We really are. <laughs> but the... You are an, an introvert, Ash. And I say that uh, with all the respect in the world. I love the fact that... Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with being an introvert. It's just a personality type, right? But I have a strange question. I don't know if you're going to like answering it, but... Like, one of the new things, one of the new aspects of, of you as a woman is seeing you experiment with beauty and yeah. seeing you experiment with makeup and like there is a vanity to being a woman and when you put makeup on it's really striking like it's transformational like you really transform um, is that something you struggle with because as an introvert doing this sort of extroverted kind of thing because that's the kind of thing that draws attention to you, right? Like, people will look at you. Oddly enough, it I don't think of it that way. Okay. Um, for me, a lot of the times, it can feel like camouflage. I see. Uh, like, just another girl in the crowd, nothing yeah. to see here, move along, move along, sort of thing. Right, blend in. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, it de- you know, it depends on the day. And I mean, the more comfortable that I've gotten in my own skin... The less I, I, I guess I engage with it. Right. Um, like when I first came out, I wouldn't leave the house or have guests over to the house yeah. without a face of makeup on. Yeah. Because uh, I just felt so awkward without it. Yeah. And now that I can, you know, on my good days, I can just kind of like brush it off and be like, whatever. Uh, now, like, I do it when I want to. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a lot more about personal fulfillment. And, mm-hmm. you know, do I want to look nice because I'm going out on a date? Or, you know, do I just want a little bit of a confidence boost? Or, yeah, no, you know, I, for whatever reason, totally. uh, it, it feels less like a defense mechanism now and more something that I can actually just own and enjoy. I don't really think of you as someone who uh, holds up. And, but you are a person who Oh yeah, very yeah. regular And I am too, and I'm saying, again I, I'm not saying it disparagingly at all I do worry about the fact that I I like being alone And I, I like my company And I like how I'm able to entertain myself Even without other people around You know, like my favorite thing to do when I'm in trouble Is I get into bed uh, with a podcast and I cover myself with cats and I'm happy <laughs> like that like it just it works like it just yeah. it works for me to be in bed with the animals and to have like this this sort of stimulation of this this somebody's story going into my ears and it feels intimate and I feel very very safe uh, but yeah sometimes I love that sometimes it's hard to uh it's hard to go out the door, let alone get up on a fucking comedy stage. And that's oh yeah, like I I have no idea how you do that because I've been on the stage, but only once or twice, and it was terrifying. Only twice since I started doing comedy have I uh, canceled a show. Yeah, uh, when you were going through something. Well, one was literally two days after my big breakup. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, there's there's no stage on the world that I could perform on yeah. and get anything out of. Um, 
And then the other was, I think, probably about three or four months ago. Yep. I don't know what it was about the day, but I was having such a horrible mental health day. And I went out to go to uh, a workshop for the day. Yeah. And I was really looking forward to it because I was like, I'm in such a shitty headspace. It would be great to... It's, it's an excuse to get out of the house um, and focus on something. Because when I'm feeling really shitty, focus is uh, a big help. Because mm-hmm. it takes my mind off things and gives me something to, to kind of occupy my brain with. So I was like, that'll take care of, you know, uh, the day up until like the, the mid-afternoon. But then I got there and like I kept screwing things up with my computer and it turned out that I downloaded the wrong version of the program. Uh, and I ended up leaving early and just did my best the whole walk home to just not fall apart and like ball my eyes out on the street. And I was just like, I, I, and this was probably like, I don't know, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. But I just, I was like, I just can't even think about having to leave my house again once I get there so I cancelled the show um, but I try really hard not to do that because it's you know it's a job you know it's kind of a weird informal bizarre unique creature of a job but it's a job and somebody's hired me to go do their show and so I don't like you know it's like abusing sick days or what you know like I don't I and especially because like on a show if you have a lineup of like five people or whatever like if one of them goes you either have to replace them last minute which is always a pain or everybody gets surprised like you have three more minutes on stage to make up for the difference and everybody prepares differently like some people will know exactly what material they're doing and they'll have like a plan for it so if you spring on them they've got another three or four minutes like they have to go into emergency mode and like rethink what they're doing and I don't you know I just don't I, there's a, I know that there's a domino effect to me cutting out of a show and I never want to be responsible for being a headache for somebody else especially because I feel so fortunate every time somebody asks me to do their show yeah. you know like even at, the, at this point like uh as of uh, next month, I will have been at it for two full years. That's I've amazing. done over 200 shows, not counting open mics where I practice new material. Mm-hmm. But still, even then, like, every time somebody asks me, I get that little, like, that little, like, ping of pride. Like, oh, like, they like me enough that, like, yeah. they're, like, and that feels so good. And I don't want that to go away. And I'm, like, if I just if I just called in every time I was having a bad day, I would do half the shows, a third of the shows, you know, uh, which is not to say that I'm always, you know, in a bad mood or always like putting on a face, but like the last six months have been pretty bad regularly. You know, uh, if I, if I just said no, every time I was having a bad day, it had been five months since my last show, you know, like you just have to, or at least for me, like, I just have to push through it and just be like, you like this. You will not regret doing this. And that's one of the big things, too, is, like, for me, I have a very specific relationship to comedy and performing and what it means to me and the, and what uh, the material that I'm delivering. Right. And so, you know, I could want to be anywhere but the venue, 
right up to the point that they call my name and I could dread every step up to the mic Yeah. and then the minute my first joke gets a laugh it's like okay 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 and the next ten minutes disappears Yeah. like it's almost like going on autopilot but in a good way uh, that sounds wonderful and then I get off the stage and the battery's recharged a little bit yeah. you know and it's I never regret be getting off the stage. I think that's such an important thing that you just articulated, which is the that little ping. I think you, like when you find something that gives you that little ping, that's invaluable. And so yeah. you will you you realize how important that is to you, and that you don't want to live without that little ping. And so you need to preserve that. You need to be a reliable person. If somebody fucking hires me, I have got to be there. That is the way you get to the ping. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's about great. being answerable to other people. I think that helps yeah. a lot. Like the external responsibility. Yep. It's a lot harder if I'm the only person that knows I was supposed to wash the dishes today and I just choose not to or whatever. You know, that doesn't impact anybody else. So I don't feel guilty about it. You know, yeah, yeah, the- once it starts to have consequences outside of my myself, then I'm so much more reluctant to pull the trigger on things. And to get that laughter from an audience. Like, I feel like I could live off that for, for days. Like, oh, yeah. Like, honestly, my best months in the last few years were the ones where I was the busiest with comedy. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's just such a fulfilling experience for me. What are you playing these days? Uh, What's doing at 40s? Anything doing at 40 I'm playing a lot of Dead by Daylight, which right. is my probably my favorite game in a long time. You're playing. So this um, is an online experience. Yeah, which is weird because this is not typically my bag. Like, I you largely... You were Overwatch fan for a while, weren't you? Yeah, and Overwatch was its own kind of exception to the rule as well because I typically don't... Like, I would say 99.9% of the time I prefer single-player experiences yeah. because I just don't typically have a great ex- experience with multiplayer. People are really toxic and they take the fun out of it people are unsportsmanlike you know they're poor sports they don't lose well they don't win well like yep. they take the fun out of it and I just want to play games to have fun like that's really what I'm there for um, and Overwatch I found a lot of enjoyment in because I had friends that were like super into it so we would play together mm-hmm. and that was really nice because that's the one thing that I always miss about playing online is you know my friends and I end up with kind of just enough of a, a divergent taste in the games that we enjoy that we rarely end up playing the same online things but Overwatch was such a behemoth that like all, all of my social circle basically was playing it so it was a lot easier to enjoy on a regular basis because right. we could just we could just play as a team or, you know, have each other's back or whatever. And something like Overwatch especially is, like, it's so coordinated, right? Like, it's a team sport. It's not just a team deathmatch or something where you you can still do well if you are doing well. You know, everybody has to coordinate. They're all working towards a common goal. Mm -hmm. And so it helps having other people that you're comfortable communicating with or that you know know, you know, what their job is. You know, um... But that was years ago, basically, at this point, that I'd been playing that regularly. Yep. And Dead by Daylight has been on Game Pass on Xbox 
since, I don't know, forever, for a long time. And I always just kind of scroll past it because I knew it was an online multiplayer only experience. And I was like, okay, it's not for me, which is a shame because survival horror games are like my favorite genre of game. Uh, But I was just like, "Eh, it's not for me, whatever. And I don't know why, but my YouTube algorithm kept pushing uh, Dead by Daylight streamers at me. Which is weird because I've never engaged with the game in any way, shape, or form. But every once in a while there would be like a gameplay video would find its way into like my recommends. But I'd never vocalized an interest in it. I'd never written about it. It just happened to be they showed me the right thing at the right time, I think, in this particular case. Like YouTube's algorithm is creepy. Uh, But in this particular case, I think it was just like... Okay, well, what is this? I'll I'll watch it. This is in her wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, and I, I watched a video of uh, somebody playing it, and I was like, that actually looks pretty cool. There's no barrier to entry whatsoever, yeah. so I'll I'll install it on my Xbox and see what's up. And I immediately fell in love with it. Do you, are all your friends playing it as well? Nobody or? I know plays Nobody. it. Oh, right. Nobody I know plays it. It's my oh, so my weird. own little thing that like everybody else is like, okay, like. A lot of people that I talk to have never even heard of it. Some people are like, oh, yeah, that looked pretty cool, but have no interest in it. Like, yeah, it's like white noise for me. I know it exists. I know yeah. it's out there. And I do the same thing. I scroll by it every time. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that is. Like, I feel like there's like a, an amorphous mass of games like Dead by Daylight that I just kind of dismiss. Yeah. It's not quite for me, you know. And I, when I found it, I found it in, I think it was probably like October. Yeah. Uh, and I was going through a particularly bad period in October. And had I was uh, struggling financially and like, but had played through all of the games that I was interested in. Yep. And was just like, I need something that has some longevity to it. I was like, uh, we'll give it a shot. And I just found... Because I, I, I felt I was going through a, a really poor time, like, mentally. Uh, so, like, my mental health was really bad. Uh, I just was very low energy and very lonely, but didn't have the power, I guess, to, like, reach out to people mm-hmm. to be, like, help on lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so, in a weird way, Dead by Daylight became, like, this little community bubble because in the game you can play as a it's kind of like a horror movie simulator in like a real layman's terms and one player plays as like a, a, a horror movie killer and the four players play as survivors who have to cooperate to achieve objectives in order to escape the killer basically and uh, I did I did, had no interest in playing the killer because I was like I don't want to run around and, and murder people like at the time I was also really just uh, exhausted by like violent simulators mm-hmm. and was just like I just I need something that's different and when you're playing Survivor in the game you have no weapons uh, there's no means of communication uh, native in the game uh, in order to communicate with anybody they have to be on your friends list and you have to have like an external group chat going mm-hmm. uh, the game itself doesn't allow you to to vocally communicate with your other teammates and it's all just about cooperation and there was something really appealing to me in that moment Mm -hmm. of a game where the only goal is to cooperate with other people to achieve an objective Mm -hmm. so that you can all 
kind of rise together and, es- and escape, right? Yeah. And there was just... There, there was something about the hole in my life at the moment that, like, Dead by Daylight fit very perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I got really hooked onto it. Uh, I started watching, like, Twitch streamers yep. who played it. And I was watching the, like, the gameplay videos more regularly because I was like, oh, like, there are people... It was the first game that I remember playing where I immediately was like, ooh, this is something I want to be good at. Yeah. Like, other games I just, like, enjoy, and I'm like, ah, you know what, if I get the top three of my team, I'm, I'm satisfied with that. This, I was like, ooh, there's something about this, I want to get good at this. And so, like, I would watch a couple of, like, the really good YouTubers who play the game and learn, like, how to escape the killer better or, like, hide or, you know, how to whatever... And like I just, it just fed me for some reason, and I got super into it. Um, I think sometimes helping NPCs or helping other humans, if they're, if they're yeah. occupying these these uh, figures, I think it does something. It does something really good for you. Like I love that in video games, helping another. Thing. Yeah. And I, I don't know why. Like I'd rather do that than, than shoot get get a headshot on. Yeah, I'd, exactly. I'd go out of my way to like bring it, do anything for it, like for sure. Yeah. Um, um, and, and then, so I I would played that almost exclusively. We talked about that um, in your Mass Effect story too. Yeah. You talked about these little side quests, and you're like, oh yeah, you need me to do that? Sure, I'll do that for you. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. It was I like there was like a there was some there was something that there was a a ping that I needed, yeah. and it just happened to line up that I found the right thing at the right time. And I played it almost exclusively from, like, October through, I would say, probably December, maybe January. Yeah. Uh, And then I started, like, I was like, okay, maybe online games are a thing that I can get into again. And, like, so I've been dipping my toes into, like, Apex Legends and been having a lot of fun with that. That's been a really steep learning curve because it's my first experience with Battle Royale games. Yeah. Uh, So for the first quite a bit, I was like running around, everything's quiet, you know, running around with my team, and then, you know, five shotgun blasts later, later and I'm dead, I'm like, well, that was a good game, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, but I was patient with it, like, started to kind of figure the game out, and, you know, I'm I'm not amazing at it now, but, like, I can play a match, you know, like, I can actually engage in a firefight and stuff now, uh, and then really recently, uh, the Division 2 went on sale for, like, pennies, uh, and so I just, like, sunk, like, 30 hours into that oh, wow. somehow over the last, like, two or three weeks. Um, and, like, I played it on my Xbox uh, a while ago, like, around launch. Yeah. And I just didn't have anybody to play with at the time. Yeah. And so I was just like, it's weird that it's an online game that feels so lonely. Yeah. Because there's, like, little social hubs in it. I don't know if you've ever played it or the I first one. No. Uh, but, like, when you're out in the world doing missions you don't run into other agents yeah. uh, it's only at like the safe houses and then you can use that opportunity to like group up and go do runs and stuff like that with strangers uh, but it was weird that I knew all these other people were playing but yeah. we weren't running into each other and stuff but that was almost uh, part of its appeal as well because I could choose to engage yes. with the multiplayer aspect yes. of it uh, but then when it went on sale, I was like, you know what? I'll grab it. I know a couple people who play it on PC. Maybe having friends yeah. to hang out with while I play will make a difference. And it did. Yeah. Like, it's really fun to run cooperative missions with. And 
Uh, it's a gorgeous game. Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, inc- some of the best environmental storytelling I've ever seen. Oh really? Yeah. It wow. just re- like the craft of it is really top tier. Like whether or not you enjoy the gameplay loop is going to be to taste, you know. Of course. Uh, and it's it's got like that Ubisoft like uh, collectibles yep. uh, addiction thing to it. Love it. But love it. The man. world the world is cool. Yeah. Uh, the the gear grind is not particularly interesting because it's yeah. not something like Borderlands or you know Destiny where you're ever going to get a gun that you know shoots crazy bullets and has a, a really unique aesthetic to it and stuff like that. It's just like you always just you you're upgrading one machine gun for a better machine gun, you know, and your gear is just backpacks and yeah. pads and yeah. you know, so it doesn't have that really fun aesthetic flair to it. But I had a lot of enjoyment. Like, I got a lot of enjoyment out of, like, the gameplay loop of the world and stuff like that. But it sounds like Division you're playing with friends. Yeah. But um, Dead by Daylight, you're playing with strangers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but you're getting uh, good things from both experiences. Totally. Yeah. And they're very different. Like, they're very different experiences. And, yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, they're scratching... They're each scratching a different itch, which is really nice. Yeah. The, um... Uh, th- like this is a little bit awkward, but I do know you've been through some tough stuff in the last couple of years, like oh, ups yeah. and downs, like just life, like some of it. But some of yours has been really tough. Like it's been tough, and there have been a couple times like we know each other now. We've known each other for over three years now. But there were a couple times when you were in trouble where you reached out to me and we got together, and I saw you in a really, really low point. Yeah. Like what is that point that you get to where you feel like? you will reach out to somebody like me where you're like, I need to connect with somebody. Like, I've seen you in That's really That's a really spots, good question, actually. But you've done it for yourself. I have, yeah, but it, I don't know if I could point to a consistent element or, like, any consistency that says, like, oh, that's the, that's the button that needs to be pushed for me to get to the point that I actually reach out to people. Okay. Uh, it... I don't know if there's like like there's the bottom and then there's the bedrock and once I get through the bedrock yeah. then it's like if I don't reach out I'm going to be in trouble like I don't like when when I called on you the few times that I did like I was in like bad 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 places I didn't even know how you know? bad it was until I saw um, I knew like theoretically I knew you were in trouble Sure and so but I didn't know how much I didn't know how much trouble you were in until I saw you. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing is, like, well, because when you don't talk to people about it, like, you know, adults have quiet spells in their friendship, right? Like, there are only so many hours in a day and so many days to go around. And so you don't automatically associate radio silence with, uh, with red flags, right? Right. And so it's not easy to be on the other end of that and tr- try to guess, right? Like, yeah. it could just as easily been, I'm doing a lot of comedy shows, and I'm busy, and yeah. I'm happy, and I've just been really preoccupied. Yeah. You know, there's no way to know. And you would run yourself crazy uh, trying to do that for everybody that you know. Like, when was the last time I heard from that person? When was the last... Right. Like, it would be impossible. Right. But on my end of things, I just... just knew that I, like, needed community in some way Mm -hmm. and there are people that I feel comfortable enough to like contact when I'm in that kind of headspace Uh, 
you know, and it's people that I'm comfortable being vulnerable around and people that I know, you know, at the, if I was in the absolute worst case scenario, I could call them and say, I really need to be with somebody, but I don't have the energy to leave my house. And they would just come over and sit on the couch and watch Netflix with me, you know? Uh, they would push me to talk about whatever was going on or, you know, or they would have an open ear if I did, you know, people that will let you lead the conversation and uh, kind of peel the bandaid off at your own speed, so to speak. I think I'm too pushy sometimes. Maybe that's maybe that's why I call you sometimes, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> You know, like I don't know if I'd be good at watching Netflix with you while you were hurting. I would really just want to get in there and try to explore and find a way to make you feel better. Um, I don't know, maybe I could, but I was just honored that you had called me when you were kind of like not doing great, and I just hoped that I helped you in some capacity. You did. I felt so much better after we hung oh, out. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I don't know. Like we have mutual friends too, like Sarah. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah will be like, oh, I just saw Ashley. Oh, she's in really rough shape. Or I just saw Ashley. She's really happy these days. Like, I feel like you do have people in your life, even even if we, you know, like, I don't see you all the time. You don't see Sarah all the time. But there are people we, like... Yeah, there's a triangulation. Yeah, there's a little a bit, yeah. That's exactly right. Um, yeah, are there are there foods that you like to eat when you're... you're Domino's you're, pizza. So you order Domino's? Domino's pizza. Really? Like, oh, what's yeah. On, what's on the pizza? Uh, usually like a bacon or sausage and jalapenos. Yeah. Uh, so always jalapenos, but the bacon and sausage could be interchange. Yeah. And what, what is it about the Domino's pizza? I haven't really had Domino's in a while. It's my favorite garbage food. I, I turn into a raccoon when I'm, uh, feeling shitty. My raccoon food. Here I am. And so I just, like, I just want to put garbage in my body. Yeah. And Domino's is, like, my favorite of, like, the chain pizza places. Yeah. Uh, And I just, if there's one close and it's cheap as chips, like... Uh, and so I'll just sit here. Did you say cheap as chips. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just sit here in a rut. And when I don't get a plate. I eat it right out of the box. Yeah, like, like a, a like a mole person. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And just sit here and eat a whole medium pizza by myself. And then afterwards, yeah. I go, I shouldn't have done that, but it felt good. <laughs> There's always regret. Always. Those pizza. I don't know always. why. Like, oh, like certain. Food so you eat you're like you can't eat it without having regret no. like that's part of the ritual of yeah eating. absolutely oh that's so sweet I always finish it like yeah that wasn't the answer <laughs> why did I fall for that again <laughs> but it tasted good like <laughs> Much longer, so let's answer a couple of, uh, of, of calls, okay? Sure. Here's the first caller. Hey, Scott, it's Ben Brown in Reading, Pennsylvania, and my question is What are your thoughts on games and companies proclaiming that theirs is devoid of politics? <laughs> The thing that I think of off the top of my head is I remember when I was in graduate school studying writing, uh, I had a, uh, as you will in university, I had a girlfriend who, who uh, presented herself as, as a, 
communist as, okay. a, as a Marxist. And so I just didn't want to engage with her on a, a political level at all. And so I would always say, I'm just, I'm, I'm out. I'm, she's like, but that's still, even if you're out, that's, that's a political representation. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a respect. political choice. Yeah. yeah. And so then she would draw me in. <laughs> but I, I sort of, it, it really, like, that opened my eyes. Well, I think it's a conversation that we've, we've been hearing people have a lot more regularly recently. Yeah. And I think it's tone deaf to say that any work of art is devoid of politics. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Impossible. Because people are not devoid of politics. Um, and... I think there's. I think a big part of this conversation is a fundamental misunderstanding of what we mean when we talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, because for some people, they haven't thought enough about the world that they live in that for them, the idea of politics is a very simple uh, section of life, and that's who do you vote for, mm-hmm. and what are those political platforms, and that's what politics is. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't think about the idea that there's no triple a black hero in a video game Mm -hmm. they don't see that like they don't consider that to be political they think of that as something else they've compartmentalized that differently Mm -hmm. and that's that's political like it's not quote-unquote politics you know with a with a star next to it uh but it's it's political you know uh the idea Ubisoft did this recently and I found it very frustrating that they were like we you know we're we're not political our games are not political etc etc I'm like bitch you own the Tom Clancy license how could you possibly say that you're not political the division is I I will restate I'm having a blast with that game but it's basically about uh, a, a team of operatives that answer to no law in order to take the country back for the government. How is that not political? Right, right. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the other thing that came to mind for me was uh, when we were talking about Watch Dogs 2. And um, I just remember you talking about some of the characters in the game. And the character that I remember you, especially when, when your transition was new, uh, you were talking about the mayor. Yeah. That's another Ubisoft game, you know? Yeah. Just, like, like, there is political depth to these stories. And that's the thing. Like, it's it's weird that they would take a company stance of, like, our games aren't political, yeah. but all of their games are so steeped in politics. Like, the Assassin's Creed series is built on basically two political factions Absolutely. with different ideologies yes. struggling for power over the course of centuries. Yes. That's extremely political. Yeah. Uh, Watch. I mean, they're really going into the deep end with Watch Dogs Legion. Yep. It's it's inspired by Brexit and contemporary politics, and they don't seem to be shying away from that, which is very exciting. Yep. Um, but then you have like Activision and their you know uh, their studios doing Call of Duty. Like, how is a game about war not political? Yep. War cannot not be political. Like, Absolutely. that's impossible. Yeah. And I do. It's. I understand not not wanting to feel preached at. I never want to feel preached at, even by people who I agree with. You know, uh, you could have the most you know progressive politics and whatever, but if you're force feeding them to me via the game, that stops being a, an entertainment experience and starts becoming an after school special. Entertainment. Yeah. yeah. 
and which is fine. You can have edutainment, but it's its own thing, it's its own and thing. you can't pretend like don't pretend that you're giving me the broad spectrum version of that when you're actually doing the specialized thing over here. Yeah. So I understand not wanting to be preached at, but not wanting politics in your entertainment just isn't possible. I know, you know, I know it can be frustrating to, you know, want to play something and have it be an escape, you know, but wanting to completely disengage from the realities of the world that we live in is one thing. Trying to force other people not to put their lived experience or opinion or worldview into their art is folly. Like, no one has ever painted an apolitical painting. Right. No one has ever made an apolitical film. Like, none of these things exist. They can't exist because every person brings with them the sum of their lived experience, of their lived experiences, for better or worse, the byproduct of the politics of the world that we live in. Even when you think about Ubisoft, who, who makes games by committee, by collectively, like, the, the games come from hundreds of people who generate ideas and they sort of meld all these these ideas together those are all com- everybody's got their own political perspective and they're yeah. putting these stories together in a particular way that they think is going to resonate the most with their per- projected audience yeah I think you're, I think you're right yeah. I think most of the times you know people people want to be on like they want to kind of like coast when it comes to, like, they don't want to be faced with, like, you know, uh, super challenging political, um, you know, uh, opposing ideologies or whatever. But, I mean, how many games are there where you're fighting totalitarian regimes? Like, that's that's not even just political, it's contemporary in its political... Over and over and over again, yeah. Even the features within them, you know? Like, you play... The majority of, of, you know, MMOs that have come out in the last 10, 20 years, uh, and the armor that you put on your, you know, male orc is this incredible, intimidating, bulky, you know, shit kicker armor. Uh, you put that same armor on a female orc, and the belly is cut out of it. It's, you know, it shows most of her legs. It's, you know, it's so much sexier. It's the same, technically, it's the same item, mm-hmm. but the way that they've chosen to display it on different genders is political. It's, right down to the, like, something is that simple. It's just because people aren't conscious of it, that they're not thinking about, yeah. oh, that is it the choice there is fueled by politics in some way it's the politics of gender it's the politics of you know class it's the politics of whatever they just think of politics as like democrat versus republican left versus right etc 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 yes yeah uh yeah i i feel like sometimes like i i mean after I'm sorry to keep talking about before and after. I don't know if that's not the right thing to do, but I just feel like your awareness, and I'm sure it was always great, but as a trans woman now, your awareness is so much more hypersensitive and articulate and passionate. Like, I feel like you have a cause. I think it's a proximity that changes it. 
Like, I was very aware and very engaged in things like this prior to my transition, but, like, now... And a part of it also is, like, I didn't engage with the queer community at large. I didn't have many queer friends and stuff like that. And so the the my social circles have diversified tenfold since coming out and as a result of that I get to again going back to the idea of you know what how what the effect I'm hoping to have in comedy is like there's flesh and bone to these problems now they're not just articles I'm reading online they're not just news stories that I'm seeing on TV there's a human uh, cost to them I'm hearing first person accounts of these encounters I'm, I'm hearing you know from friends you know about how they were spoken to by their parents about how to get through an encounter with a police officer before they had the birds and the bees talk you know what I mean uh, and I, I become closer to these issues and have a more fully formed understanding and perspective of them there are two types of people when it comes to that it's like there are people that are open and responsive to learning there's people that are resistant to it and sometimes if you're really lucky, you can break down the walls of the resistant person and they'll become a little bit more malleable to, to hearing about these things. Yes. But some people have those walls up so high that they become very difficult to have these conversations with. Yeah, yeah. Let's do one more question, then I'll let you go. Hi, Scott. This is Amanda from Ontario, Canada. I was just wondering if you ever struggle with finding creative inspiration, and if so, how you deal with that. Thanks. Cool boy. <laughs> there you go. It's a broad question for sure, um, but it's something that I know you struggle with. Like I, you know, honestly, like maybe I'm sharing too much here, but I'm I'm writing a novel right now, and so I this today I've spent four hours writing what I feel like is shit, and like I I just I keep the fire burning. Because I hope at some point it won't feel like shit and won't sound like shit and look like shit to me. I'm just trying to believe. Like, I, but it's like that struggle, I'm guessing, if you're going to work creatively, and I feel like whatever work uh, you do and whatever work I've done, like, they're usually creative endeavors. Like, this is what you kind of have to learn to live with. Totally. Yeah, like, this is just the way it goes. For me, it's a lot easier to push through things when. Uh, when I'm on contract um, I find a deadline helps a lot Yeah. you know um, and I hesitate to call it writer's block because mostly it's just lack of inspiration yeah. um, it's not that there's something that I'm particularly stuck on it's just that there's kind of like a fog and I just haven't figured out my way past it yet mm-hmm. um, but you're saying if you have a deadline that's coming up that you have cannot get around. You just push through it. Something, something about an impending deadline, where, where like your it goes back to the idea of being accountable to other people. You know, when I'm accountable to somebody else, uh, I just I tend to push through somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a big part of that is also when I'm dealing with creative work that's contracted. There's already a direction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I know that we're making a horror film I know that we're making a detective procedural television series I know that we're making a dating sim video game I know I know what our objective is at the end of the day when I'm dealing with my own stuff it's a lot harder because you create it from whole cloth Mm -hmm. it starts out as nothing 
Uh, and so for me, one of my big challenges is finding something that sparks correctly and something that will spark and light that fire and keep that fire alive Mm -hmm. through the whole process. You know, there there are a lot of times when I have thought of something and been like, ooh, that's really cool. And then in a week, I've forgotten it. Because I don't write them down at first. Yeah. Uh, intentionally. Because if I've forgotten it in a week, it wasn't good. Um, so I kind of like let... When something hits me, I think, okay, that seems pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And if I spend the next week thinking about it, that's a good first step. Mm-hmm. It's stuck. It's got staying power. Right. You know? And then you start building pieces on it. And like, what's a scene from that look like? And what... Who's the character in that? And for me, usually, when I'm creating something of my own, and this is whether or not it's a joke in comedy or if it's a script or whatever, usually the kernel of it isn't, you know, ooh, it would be really cool to make an action movie or it would be really cool to make a whatever. Uh, It comes from what do I want to express? Mm -hmm. What do I want... What am I excited to talk about and then trying to find a way to dress it mm-hmm. uh, you know and for me that's really hard like I know that I write less than I should uh, I everybody writes you know, less than they should yeah but I have friends who like they just keep them coming yeah. you know like they'll do you know two or three uh, scripts in a year of their own volition yeah. and for me it's like I, technically could I? Yes how, how often would I be absolutely in love with them and willing to go to bat for them? Mm-hmm. I don't know probably not as often yeah. so, because for me if you're pulling teeth in the really early stages of it, it it's usually for me it's because there's something not right about it it's just not speaking to me on the right frequency or it's missing something. And that doesn't always necessarily mean inherently that it's bad and it'll get up trashed, but sometimes it means now's not the right time for it. Yep. You know, there's a, there's a, a series concept that I've been, you know, kind of fostering in the back of my head for literally probably like five years now. And there's just something missing about it. And I don't know what's missing, but when I figure it out, I'll know. You know, but I know that I'm going to get there because the idea stuck around this long. And I still think it's a really cool idea. So you're, you're, you're an advocate for patience. Absolutely. Okay. I find the worst thing that I can do when I'm struggling creatively is try to force it. Right. Um, but that's also context dependent. Because if I'm in the middle of, say, an outline and I come up against a scene and I'm like, I don't know what I need out of this, my options are stop cold and come back when I've figured that out. Mm -hmm. Or I can just put in big, bold letters, come back to this and then just keep going. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because sometimes it's as easy as like, I just need connective tissue between this thing and that thing. I don't know what it is yet, but I know where I'm going from there. And then I can keep going. And sometimes the the stuff that I write later will answer 
you know, the blank space, and I'll go, oh, yeah, obviously what I was missing was this, you know. Uh, but I really love your patience. I really do. I think that's that's so smart. It's, for me, like, I've tried to, to force it, and I just have I've never ended up with anything worth keeping out of it. Uh, but that's sort of antithetical to what you said before, because when you're on deadline and you do have to force it, you pull the fog suddenly. But goes that's away. a focus. That's because the added focus makes it easier. I see. Okay. I see. Um, you know, because and sometimes, like when you're on when you're on deadline and you fo- and you force yourself through it, that's the stuff that gets noted the most, right? They're like, I don't know what this was, but it's not very useful, or it's a double beat, or it's a whatever, and you you can very clearly see where the weak points are. Um, but sometimes just getting to the end of the road and getting perspective from somebody else is enough, you know, to, to bring you back down to earth and take a closer look at it. I want to add um, one little thing to what you're saying, and that's, I think, I think boredom is, is vastly underrated. I think creating moments of of like just numbing boredom in yourself we do it so very rarely now and I, I just think the benefits of seeking out boredom of disconnecting yourself from the internet of just letting yourself stew and sit with your own thoughts is just something we don't naturally do as much as we again there's a generation between you and me you're much yeah. better than I am but that boredom, I feel it on airplanes. And when I'm on airplanes and I'm bored is when I think the clearest, most valuable thoughts to me. Absolutely. And I love that. What if my, what if, when I'm really in the middle of things yep. and I come up against, you know, oh, I can't figure out what X is, I put my headphones on, I listen to music, and I take the dog for a long walk. Because it just it gets it gets me moving. Yep. It gets me divorced from whatever I'm working on and clears my head. And I'd say probably 75, 80% of the yeah. time, by the time I sit back down at my desk, I'm ready to rock and roll again. You know, sometimes you just have to remove yourself mm-hmm. uh, for a little bit, whether or not that's for the length of a walk or until the next day. You know, you have to, I think you have to not be afraid to put some distance between you. Um, I find that when, even after I finish a, a draft of something, I don't immediately start rewriting it because I find I'm still too close to it. I will send it to people that I know and trust, and then about a week later, I'll come back to it because it's given me a little bit of distance and a little objectivity that I can come back and be like, I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that dialogue that's so stilted and unnatural, (laughs) or... You know, or even the stuff that is good, it's given me enough distance to be able to identify the strong points as well, and sometimes that's just as important. You know, we live in Toronto, and we're surrounded by people, and I think, you know, going out into the public, whether it's the library or a coffee shop or the TTC, and really, like, trying to listen to other people converse is really inspiring for me. I, I don't think I do it as much as I used to. And I love when I do it, and sometimes I'll write down little bits of dialogue, and I'll just also sort of, I don't know, just really sort of be in awe of, of the complications of, of urban life, and the yeah. ways in which we all fit together, and the things we need, and the things we want, and the difference between those two things, and how we negotiate those between each other. If you live in an urban area, just go somewhere and sit and listen to the people around you talk. 
Totally. And and enjoy listening to them and, and under, try to understand who they are. And your understanding of the world will be forever enriched by that experience. Couldn't agree more. Ashley and I talked about one other thing that I feel deserves mention here. Uh, she listens to a podcast called The Movie Crypt. It's hosted by two horror film directors. She was pointing out the uh, remarkable way that they end every episode and what those endings mean to her. Well, I know if I'm going through things, it helps to hear from other people that are. I, uh, I'm, you know, I, I said I've been having a particularly bad like last six months. There's this podcast that I listen to on a really regular basis called The Movie Crypt. It's hosted by two horror filmmakers, and every week they bring a guest on, who, you know, an actor, an editor, a director, a writer, or whatever. And uh, they always end the podcast in the same way. Uh, they ask, what was a time when things were so bad that you felt like quitting? And what stopped you? And it's this really visceral question of like, you know, identifying a a point where you just were ready to pack it up and walk away. Uh, But with that, with that angle of hope, like, because you didn't, it's, it's, there's something about hearing those stories every week that kind of keeps me going sometimes because it's like everybody has them everybody's been through a period where they haven't worked or the work is unsatisfying everybody's had people tell them that they can't do this and they're wasting their time everybody like everybody's been through every obstacle you could be you know up against and every week I listen to these interviews and they always end on that question and I just think you know I can make it I can make it through the next week. Mm-hmm. And then the next week I get the next story, you know? And it's because people are, are vulnerable and honest enough to have those kind of stories that I feel a sense of kinship with them. And so I always try to be as transparent and honest about my mental health and what I'm going through and all that kind is of that stuff. Is that always been like that? It's never been like that. Pre-transition, I never spoke about my feelings. I was basically a a walled garden. You know, you could get in, the doors were locked. Like, uh, but I tried really hard after coming out uh, and knowing how difficult it was to get to that point in my life. I was like, maybe, like, if I had had access to somebody who had been through the stuff I was going through you know, maybe it would have been easier. So to me, like, if anybody gets anything from what I can say, then it's worth opening my mouth. You know, that's what the comedy's about. You know, get on a stage in front of people who have never met a trans person before Mm -hmm. and find a way in so that when they leave that day, like, they leave with something extra in their pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, um... whether it's uh, a better understanding of, you know, a transphobic experience that I've had or whether or not it's about, you know, just putting a human being to the demographic. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people know about trans people in theory, you know. Uh, And, you know, I think it was something like 
less than 25% of people in the States uh, have met a trans person. Uh, and it's like, one in four is not nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but that's still 75% of people walking around being like, well, I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I th- it's it's like you you see you see these numbers change all over the place like uh you know racism uh people who have like racist tendencies uh often have never met uh somebody from the demographic that they're racist towards. They right. just know them as like this boogeyman right. that they've decided uh is bad for whatever reason, but the second they have to face a human being uh, you know, it changes things. You, yeah, you put flesh and bone to it, yes. and it changes your perspective. Well, that makes sense. Um, so when people walk out of one of your shows, hopefully... The dynamic has shifted a little bit. Well, they'll have a, a slightly different lens and exactly. view the world through. Yeah. And that's incredibly valuable. Yeah, and at worst, it's a room full of 30 cishat people who, yeah. you know, are just... It's just about, you know... Uh, it's just a learning experience. It's just putting a new uh, perspective on things. Yeah. And at its best, there's somebody in that audience who feels seen and represented. You know? I win either yes. way. <laughs> yes. I do think that's a really great question week in and week out for your guests on the, on, on the podcast you listen to. What's the name of it again? The Movie Crypt. Movie Crypt. And... I think it's great because not only do you listen to the other person, the guests answer that question, you're also answering it for yourself. And you need to answer that question every week. Like, you need to. Like, we just do. That's part of life. Absolutely. And it's funny because, like, recently, every week I'm like, is that where I am right now? Yeah. Like, if in five years I end up on this podcast, am I going to be talking about the period that I'm in right now? Or is it going to get worse from here? You know, but then the next week I'm asking the same question, and the next week I'm asking the same question, which means I'm still moving forward. Yes. You know, and that's not nothing. Thank you so much. Of course. I was arguing online with this guy recently. His big show stopping revelation that he thought was going to shut me up forever was if trans women were really women, you wouldn't have to call them trans. That's what we're up against, guys. If you'd like to see Ashley perform her electrifying comedy, follow her on Twitter. She is at Ashley J. Cooper, J-A-Y. Or you can find her on Facebook under Ashley Cooper Comedy. Special thanks to Patrick Day Ortega for the incredible chiptunes in today's episode. If you have a question for Heavily Pixelated, you can record the audio on your phone and then email it to us at heavilypix at gmail.com. And if you'd like to see a photo of Pancake, the handsomest boy in the whole wide world, go to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash heavilypixelated. And you'll also find a link to the Movie Crypt podcast on Patreon. Thanks also to Sarah Deakins, who's our producer, and Stephen Nikolic, who's our technical producer. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Heavily Pixelated. Until then, I'm Scott C. Jones. Take good care of yourself, okay? Okay.